Habakkuk 3, verses 2 to 19. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Taman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens, and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. Plague went before him. Pestilence followed his steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed, but he marches on forever. I saw the tents of Kishan in distress, the dwellings of Midian in anguish. Where were, where, were you angry with the rivers, Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode your horses and your chariots to victory? You uncovered your bow, you called for many arrows, you split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed, torrents of waters swept by, the deep roared and lifted its waves on high. Sun and moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear. In wrath you strode through the earth, and in anger you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. With his own spear, you pierced his head when his warriors stormed out to scatter us, gloating as though about to devour the wretched who are in hiding. You trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great waters. I heard at my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones, and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nations invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to thread on the heights for the director of music on my stringed instruments. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Let us pray for uh, David uh, as he speaks to us today. Dear Lord, we... We pray for your presence. Holy Spirit, may you anoint, uh, anoint David. May your word edify us, change our hearts. May your word empower us. Lord, speak to our heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Robert. Well, good morning. What a difficult passage. Amen. Oh, I will tell you about the, the passage in the book of Habakkuk, but I would like to tell you first about the sermon, the sermon preparation. It, it wasn't easy uh, because I, I have a bit of a history with this, with this book. Uh, many years ago when I was, um, when I was a, a student at Regent College, I was, um, I was struggling um, and I was quite vocal about that struggle. Um, I was struggling with 
the, with the war in Iraq, remember how that happened? That uh, it was with the, the reason behind it was the weapons of mass destruction, but there weren't weapons of mass destruction. So um, I have to be thankful, grateful uh, to our former uh, senior minister, Daryl. Daryl, he helped me. He took time and he helped me work through that by reading together the book of Habakkuk. So it's always been kind of close to my heart and that's been at, uh, a very important piece of my relationship with, with Daryl. Uh, but it kind of, it brought me back to that time about you know, 20 years ago when, when I was a region student. And uh, one of the things that was also a big part of, uh, uh, part of the news, uh, part of reality of this city at that time was, um, I don't know if you remember this, but uh, in February 6th, actually, uh, so around this time of the year, uh, Robert Picton's farm in Coquitlam was, you know, uh, so the police uncovered uh, several, uh, several bodies of, of women that had been uh, murdered. Uh, they, were, they were vulnerable women, most of them indigenous, uh, or some of them at least, uh, several of them indigenous, uh, that had been um, uh, murdered uh, by, by this man. And uh, it, it, it's all a whole gruesome, very gruesome story. But um, it, was, um, uh, uh, it was catastrophic because for many years, people in the downtown east side had been uh, telling stories, had been warning uh, about this, and, and the police didn't believe them. Uh, until you know, the, these, uh, these remains were found. So that was a horrific thing that happened in, in, our, in our city uh, and about 20 years ago, and about that time when I was reading Habakkuk. So I was a mess, you know, the last, uh, last couple of weeks trying to prepare the, the sermon. And then, um, uh, but the sermon came together, as I remember one incident that also happened in the last couple of weeks, uh, at the end of a prayer walk, uh, I was uh, um, that uh, that I was doing with with Hannah Oxby, uh, our uh, intern at uh, Street Ministry. She's doing supervised ministry with us. Um, we uh, we were in, a, in an alley uh, close to downtown East Side, and you know we're trying to talk to people who were who were drugged, you know, out of their mind. That you couldn't really make sense of right of the conversation, but we were still there offering prayer. Um, and then one of them that was sort of dancing, kind of like making some erratic moves, at the end of it said, say hi to Bob Swan. <laughs> and that made sense of the sermon to me because I was like, yeah, Christ is in the midst of all of this chaos. Um, and the fact that this man, again, like, I didn't understand most of what he said. It didn't make sense. He, he was obviously high. The fact that he remembered Bob, the fact that he said hi, and he said, First Baptist, right? It was like, yeah. So we kept, kept walking, but I was just really touched that, that God was in the city. And that's what brought this sermon together. So let's get into the, the passage a little bit. But I felt I needed to tell you that, so, so you, if, if the sermon isn't all that clear, you know at least how it, or why it wasn't clear. So, um, who among you likes coffee? You can put up your hands. All right, several coffee lovers. 
Um, did you know that uh, coffee beans are not actually technically beans, right? They are seeds. Um, so they're not beans in the most technical sense, right? Uh, they are, as I was saying, they're seeds because, see, um, um, all beans are seeds, but not all seeds are beans, right? <laughs> now, maybe talk to, to a botanist or to someone who knows better about these things. Uh, but, you know, they're, they're, they're seeds of, of, of uh, little fruit that you know, uh, grows in a, in a sort of like bush. Um, so, this is a misconception, right? Something that kind of, we just call it there because it looks like a bean, right? So, we just kind of call it that. Um, now, this kind of thing happens, right? Like, um, for instance, I have never read Mary Shelley's book, uh, Frankenstein, right? Uh, like many of us who depend heavily on popular culture, especially around Halloween, I guess, uh, so we depend on popular culture rather than, or, than, rather than on our uh, literary knowledge. Um, so I used to believe that Frankenstein was the green monster. But, actually, Frankenstein is the name of the monster's creator, right? Uh, so there's a whole, whole question there about who actually is the monster in that story. But um, I didn't know. I always thought that the green guy was, like, was the, the Frankenstein, but it's not. Another misconception, um, a wrong idea about something. For many years, too, uh, especially as a kid, I used to believe that camels uh, could survive in the desert you know, without water because they had water in their humps. <laughs> that, that's what I thought. But no, actually, they don't have water in their humps. Uh, they, uh, they survive in the dry weather because, uh, they, because of the, how their metabolism works. Uh, so it's an adaptation, right? So, but it's definitely not water in the humps. So, um, again, another misconception, just a wrong idea about something. Sometimes when people get the wrong idea about something, it's kind of funny. Uh, it's uh, anecdotal, uh, curious, and sometimes there's a little bit more of a bad intention, you know, like a, a bad information spread on purpose. We know about that, about fake news and stuff these days. But, you know, you probably remember uh, or you've heard uh, of an older sibling telling the younger siblings that the watermelon seeds that they had just swallowed are gonna, were going to grow into trees in their stomach, right? So that's the kind of stuff that older, brother, older siblings do, right? And then you can imagine the, the younger siblings just kind of scared, right? Because they know that uh, trees come out of seeds, right? So they have that piece of information, but they don't, you know, it just, uh, uh, yeah. So it makes older siblings laugh uh, at their expense. Sometimes we get the wrong idea about someone or somewhere uh, just because we make assumptions. Um, for instance, many people in, in Canada uh, or in the United States as well who have been to Mexico uh, think that all Latin Americans uh, eat spicy food, which is actually not true. So youth, when you go to Costa Rica, you, won't, you will have a hard time finding spicy food, for instance, right? Um, so, you know, you, you have one experience and then you tend to generalize, right? So that's kind of how stereotypes are formed too. 
Um, so again, sometimes this is all funny and harmless and anecdotal, and sometimes it's a little bit more, more dangerous, a little bit more hurtful. Um, our oldest daughter, Sofia, was born in Argentina, a country with a long history of European immigration. Many Bolivians, especially the ones that look more indigenous, browner, uh, like myself, they tend to go to Argentina to work in farms, domestic helpers, construction, all those low-paying jobs. Um, so um, while we lived there, Susana, my wife, uh, used to go out with Sofia when Sofia was a baby, right? Uh, to go out for a walk. And sometimes uh, people used to assume that Sofia was adopted because she looked darker than Susana. Right? So it was like, oh, so nice of you, you know, to adopt a little Bolivian baby. And uh, Susanna was, was, didn't like that, right? It's my daughter, right? Like, so, uh, again, like you, misconceptions, assumptions that you make, uh, sometimes they're funny, they're curious, sometimes they can cause harm. Uh, making assumptions is one way to get the wrong idea about someone. Another way to get the wrong idea about someone or something is simply by holding on to one aspect of that person that we know, and then we begin to think that we know the person completely. Uh, spouses can be guilty of this, right? Sorry, Susanna. Um, uh, yeah, but it, it can cause hurt, right? Because uh, anyhow. Making assumptions is dangerous. And we also may get the wrong idea uh, about God or about faith. Sometimes we know something about God and we try to make him fit within that limited idea of him that we have. Try to make him fit that mold. Um, we end up hurting ourselves because we end up living into a faith that considers only one aspect of God, and we're closed to the other dimensions, the other aspects of God. And what is worse, other people end up getting the wrong idea about God because of our distorted view of God. So we need to be careful about that. We need to be wise. The passage we just read comes from the book of Habakkuk, a prophet, a spokesman, for God, who lived around 600 years before Jesus was born. This short book in the Old Testament should be understood, should be read as a long prayer, the, the entire book. Uh, it's unique that way because, it, again, it's, it's the whole book, not just the last chapter that we read. It's, it's a prayer. Habakkuk has a, lo a lot to teach us about the true meaning of faith and the importance of boldness. In prayer. His experience is important for us today because Christians and non-Christians assume that having faith is about reaching a state, you know, a, 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 reaching a state of mind where you don't ask questions anymore. You know, faith is like not having questions. We Christians have given the wrong impression that faith is primarily or exclusively about what happens after we die. 
Habakkuk wouldn't recognize that faith. Nor would the Apostle Paul that uses some of the words that Habakkuk wrote. Every prayer has a story. And faith is always lived in context. So let me tell you the story of Habakkuk. Habakkuk lived in a time when the people of God lived under corrupt and sinful leaders. His words are, violence, was every, violence is everywhere. Justice is a joke. The book begins with Habakkuk's plea to God. How long, Yahweh, how long shall I cry and you will not hear? Habakkuk's greatest desire is to see God in action. But instead of that, he sees evil in action. Things are rough in his time. Things are not the way they're supposed to be. Every prayer has a story. Sometimes those stories are about a personal struggle or a personal reason for gratitude. They might sound like this. God, help me resist temptation. Father, please heal my body. Or, thank you, Father, for providing this job for me. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for healing me, etc. Habakkuk tells us that prayer should also be about the stories of our neighborhood, the stories of our city, the stories of our country. What is beautiful about our city? What is terrible about our city? Prayer stirs in our hearts the desire to see God in action. In the face of injustice and calamity, prayer is the antidote to indifference. When we say, how long, O Lord? How long? And God responds. God responds in verse 5 of chapters, chapter 1. Uh, God says, Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded. I am raising up the Babylonians, the ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwelling places not their own. They are feared and dreaded people. They are, law, they are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like a vulture swooping to devour. They all come bent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They deride kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities. They build earthen ramps and capture them. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on, guilty men whose own strength is their God. Whose own strength is their God. So Habakkuk is praying because the leaders of Jerusalem oppressed the people. And God's answer is that he will raise the Babylonians to punish the leaders. This is not 
the answer that Habakkuk was hoping for. He was not expecting this answer. In verses 12 and 17 of chapter 1, he's basically saying to God, Are you serious? You're going to do that? The Babylonians are mighty indeed, but they're cruel. And their cruelty comes from their pride. After acknowledging Yahweh's holiness, purity, and the fact that Yahweh was using Babylon to discipline his people, Habakkuk asks why Yahweh, God, must remain silent when the wicked oppress the righteous. Like Habakkuk, we will face times when we won't understand what God is doing. Sometimes we think he should be vocal, he should be active punishing the wrong and judging evil. If you remember last week's sermon, um, uh, Susanna taught us that the problem with the prophet Jonah was that when he didn't like God's word or God's instructions, Jonah stopped the conversation with his actions. He tried to flee. Habakkuk does not respond that way. Habakkuk does not end the conversation. He definitely does not like the answer that God gave him. But unlike Jonah, he keeps bringing his questions to God. In Habakkuk 2.1, we read, I will stand my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. Because Habakkuk kept asking questions, he is going to learn something that will inspire believers thousands of years afterwards. God is going to act. He will not remain distant, but there is a crucial lesson that he must learn, that Habakkuk must learn, and he must communicate. And this is a crucial lesson. Faith is the opposite of arrogance. Faith is the opposite of arrogance and pride. Habakkuk 2.4, it says, God tells Habakkuk, look at that man, the Babylonians, right? Bloated by self-importance, full of himself, but soul empty. And you will recognize these words. But the just will live by faith. The opposite of arrogance is faith. The problem with pride is that it makes us believe that we are the center of everything. The Babylonians' pride put them under God's judgment. Unfortunately, Christians often forget that the opposite of pride is faith. But we're sneaky about it. In the last several years, evangelical Christians have fallen in love and supported politicians who love themselves, 
who are prideful and arrogant. This is what happened in my own country of birth, Bolivia. Like Habakkuk, Christians got tired of the injustices and violence of the party that had governed for several years, for over a decade. When that government was overthrown, evangelical Christians supported the new rulers blindly, even though the new rulers were also violent and more corrupt and were arrogant. The more boastful or prideful the new rulers behaved, the more support they received from evangelicals. Living by faith means rejecting pride in ourselves first, but also rejecting other people's pride in themselves, in their strength. Living by faith does not mean that we stop asking questions. In fact, the opposite is true. It means that we do not stop the conversation with God. Prayer is not a detachment from the world, but it allows us to walk on this earth by faith. Prayer grows legs. And it might take us, prayer might take us to see beauty and glory in our neighborhood. But it might take us to see injustice and suffering. That's why we keep bringing our questions to God. In this honest struggle, we remember that God hears our prayers. Faith plunges us deeper into prayer. True knowledge of God is not knowledge about God. It is always relationship with God. So, as our prayers grow legs, we begin to see the world with prophetic eyes. Our prayers don't need to be perfect. The prayers in the Bible are not perfect, actually. But the prayers in the Bible are open to God's challenge and God's cleansing. And that's what our prayers should be open to. Our questions to God should be open to. To, his, to God's own challenge and God's cleansing of our prayers and our questions. God takes our prayers seriously. Even in the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, at the end of history, the prayers of the people are treated with great importance. And thank you for, uh, uh, for mentioning that, Ben. And thank you to the children, although they're not here, for, for leading us in prayer. Read Revelation 8.3. It says, Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all God's people on the golden altar in front of the throne. The smoke of the incense, together with the prayers of God's people, so that that incense is purifying the prayers of, the God, of God's people, went up before God from the angel's hand. This is in the consummation of all things. Prayers matter. God takes our prayers seriously. As God is bringing all of history to an end, 
our prayers are still being lifted up to God. Of course, we don't have to wait, we don't need to wait until the end of history for our prayers to be cleansed. God is reminding us that faithful prayer rejects pride and embraces humility. In Habakkuk's final prayer, in chapter 3, we see with great clarity that God is the main character of the story. God is in charge, not the prideful Babylonians, not the corrupt leaders in Jerusalem. O Lord, I have heard the report of you, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. That's another way of saying, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Remember, friends, prayer is not for detaching ourselves from the world. Prayer is for sinking the desires of our heart with God's desires for our lives and for the world. God will bring justice. God will bring his kingdom. And through prayer, we not only witness this, but we get to participate in this. And so, our prayers are not only lifted up to heaven. Once they're cleansed, once they're lifted up, our prayers re-enter the city. Our prayers grow legs as we participate in God's actions. As we pray for our community, we realize that God is already active in the city. I want to draw your attention to verse 3 of chapter 3. God came from Taman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. In these verses, God is pictured as coming from the south, from Teman and Mount Paran. Normally, readers would expect God to come from the temple in Jerusalem, or from up from the heavens, from his dwelling in the heavens. But he's coming from unexpected places. Prayer opens our eyes to this reality. Sometimes we see God in amazing ways. It may be a little bit harder to see him in our daily struggles. But don't be discouraged. We can grow in this together. That's what church is for. No matter how long you have been following Jesus, our hearts can always get a little more synced to God's heart. In the words of the Chilean priest, Segundo Galilea, prayer is not easy or spontaneous. It requires a renewed choice each day. Our prayers need to grow legs and take us to meet God in unexpected places. What is your greatest desire for yourself, for your family, 
for your community, for our city. Put God at the center of that desire. He will refine it. He will expand it. He will transform it. Whatever he does, it will be so much better than whatever you could have imagined. We cannot live by faith unless we pray through the situations that we see. We cannot live by faith unless prayer grows legs and enters our city. As you grow in faith, may we become more sensitive to injustice. May we marvel and seek at God's creativity for justice. Without this God-given desire for justice, we would, be, we would drown first in conformity, then in apathy, and finally in isolation and loneliness. Habakkuk closes his prayer with these beautiful words. Habakkuk 3, 6, 17. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herds on the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. These are not the words of someone who has stopped seeing reality or has stopped asking questions to God. These are words of someone whose prayers have grown legs because he has kept bringing his questions to God. These are the words of someone who knows that even though he may not see God's action when and how he wants to, knows that God is still active, God is still holy, God still cares for justice. So, let's live by faith. A biblical faith that allows and even encourages questions. A biblical faith that does not look away from the injustices of the world. A biblical faith with eyes open to see God in action. Amen. You've been listening to the First Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. For more sermons and information about our church's services and programs, please visit firstbc.org.